Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, it is me, Nicole. I am back in action. I just took the longest podcast break maybe I've ever taken, three weeks since my last episode. There's a lot going on in the world and I found myself struggling to have clarity And uh, I just needed a little time to sort of regroup my mind and body. And in the middle of it, I went to Steamboat with my family, which is this really cool mountain town just far enough away from Denver and Boulder and the Front Range to be a little bit hard to get to. And uh, it's still semi shut down. So it was a very fun, relaxing time for me to sort of, I don't know, reground my soul and my body with my family. And what I'm finding is that right now I'm open. My eyes are open. My ears are open. My heart is open and I'm feeling all the feels. And there's a lot of feels right now to feel. Um, And I thought maybe I could start today with sharing a little bit of where I am because part of this podcast is is about the fact that not only am I sharing other people's stories, but you are following my own journey along the way. So here's where I am. As you know, I am winding down my first child's life, skirt sports, such a weird way to say it. I'm kind of in the big wind down, let's call it that, Um, made the decision in early May that it was time, there are a whole lot of factors that come into that decision, and decided that I needed to move the company, you know, move on from the company and look for some other things in my life. And in the meantime, while we are madly selling inventory, and believe me, there is still a lot of um, product to purchase, but wow, you have really helped clear us out, which is just makes me so happy. Um, The last thing I wanted after 15 years of pouring my heart and soul into this company was to come out of it with banks chasing me or massive financial ruin is not why I did this. And um, by purchasing our remaining inventory, you have helped and are helping us um, be able to come out of this much more cleanly. You know, and, and like I've, I've posted on social media years and years ago, I, I, you know, I dreamed of selling the company someday for a whole lot of money. I mean, I, at one point I was like, I'm not going to sell unless I can walk away with $10 million. <laughs> and, and maybe that could have happened. I don't know, but it didn't happen to us. And in fact, you know, I, I enjoyed a much more robust roller coaster than I ever thought I would. And um, I'm not coming away with so much money that I never have to work again. And it hit me that maybe that's for for a reason. Maybe there's a, a purpose behind 
behind this sort of this ending in a sense that uh, I have more work to do on this planet. So I'm taking that to heart and I'm really thinking about what will I do next? Because I have really, truly have no freaking idea. Um, all I know right now is that whatever I do next must include community. It must be fun. And uh, it's got to include some celebration because at the end of the day, that is what brings me joy is celebrating, celebrating others, celebrating life. Um, at the same time, I am talking to prospects. I'm talking to people and businesses that are interested in potentially acquiring skirt sports. So not for that, um, I don't know, windfall, is that the word <laughs> that, that I originally hoped for? But it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, if we are successful in finding a partner for this brand, they will be able to take the incredible skirt community and mission forward. And that to me is very important. You know, people have been asking, actually telling me like, I am so excited for your next thing. And I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, no pressure. <laughs> like, It's going to have to be huge. But I finally realized, like I said earlier, it's just going to take some time to get there and to figure it out. And I'm getting my mojo back right now as we speak. Um, there's a lot more work to do. I I actually believe that I may spend some time writing and there may be a book in my future. Uh, there are quite a few experiences that I believe need to be shared that can help people. And along the way, I am going to keep seeking my own inspiration largely through the incredible conversations I have on this podcast. And if you really want to support me and you feel called to support me, it would mean the world to me. Um, right now, I get paid to do all the things I do through Skirt Sports, but that is pretty much ending. It actually is is ending as we speak. Um, so I'm going to have to find other ways to financially support myself to do this kind of work. And you can support me through my Patreon account at this time. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Um, just search Nicole DeBoom or backslash Nicole DeBoom. Um, I am creating a more positive world. That is what I am doing through this podcast. So people actually donate um, and, and anywhere from 5 to $20 a month to support the work I do. And I promise I am back on the podcast train, as you will see today or hear today with our great guests. So on that note, I am going to introduce you to Darietta Lee. She is actually a skirt ambassador, and I met her in Boulder many years ago when she came to our ambassador retreat. She stood out visually. She stood out. She is a black Muslim runner and athlete. The clothing she wears, her hijab, you know, it's different. It looked different. But what really struck me about her was that she... She blended in as much as she stood out. She blended right in because her message and her mission of love and positivity and support and her journey towards a healthier, more positive life are the exact same as everybody else in the group. 
Um, I have supported her journey and helped elevate her over the years through uh, featuring her in our social media and through, you know, other, other communication channels we have. You know, the truth is, I love celebrating women. This is really, truly at my core what I am. Maybe I'd be a great agent. I don't know. What do you think? Maybe that's what I should become. But what I love about Darietta is that she gives other women and other people courage. Right now, she is feeling all the heaviness in the world. Um, She is honoring her process, which is so tough to do, and she's doing it publicly. I encourage you to get on her social media and check her out on mostly Instagram. She is Concrete Rose Lifts. There's an underscore in there somewhere. Just search Darietta Lee or Concrete Rose Lifts. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, And you will see she's going through everything that's going on in our country. She's, it's very personal to her. um, And she has a voice that is powerful and clear. And I can't wait for you to hear her voice in just a second. This conversation is multi-layered because she has many layers. I learned a lot of things about her that I did not know going in. Um, As she says, and you'll hear in a minute, when she was growing up, she literally lived a double life. We definitely hit on the topic of racial injustice. It's, It's not a comfortable topic. It's hard to talk about. You'll see. I don't have the words yet. I'm trying to. Um, and we, we talk about what we can do to create the change that's needed in our country. And believe me, it did not escape me that she grew up on the south side of Chicago, an area that I was basically told never to go. Um, she dealt with drug culture, gangs, dangerous street activity. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs with all the privileges and luxuries I needed to do the things I wanted to do to have the success that I've been able to have. She really fought for hers. I fought too. I'm not saying I didn't fight. I fought in a different way, but it's really important to learn her experience Um, I believe you'll get a lot out of it. I know I did. All right. So last thing before we start here, we did have a few technical difficulties because that's how it goes in the time of (laughs) virtual interviewing. Um, We did this through Zoom. I am hoping to post this also on YouTube. You can see us as well as hear us. Um, And it was the first time she ever did a podcast. And it's tough. It's tough to enter into that world. And so I, she took all the things she is. She took her courage and bravery and she put herself out there. She did a great job. I know you're going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, here is Darietta Lee. <laughs> yeah, I love starting with a laugh. It's so good to see your smiling face. Darietta. I think the last time I saw you was like three years ago in Boulder at the race. Skirt Sports yeah. Center. Yeah. Or was that two? Yeah, that was three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you were going to come back this year. And then as yeah. we know, the life, the skirt universe has turned upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so much <laughs> like, 
I don't know what the word is, but everything's so tumultuous right now. Like mm-hmm. we want at least something in our lives to feel steady these days, mm-hmm. don't we? Yeah, I agree. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's been challenging. <laughs> it has. It's been challenging. So what like, okay, so in my world, you know, I was coming off of this like very challenging business year last year and we came into this year and I'm thinking, all right, 2020 is going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to be the year that we, you know, recover and resurrect the business again and move in a different business direction. And then coronavirus hit and things just didn't go the right direction. In fact, they accelerated the wrong direction. And then, so I had to make hard decisions with skirt sports, but then other really important things in our world just kept piling on top. Okay. Okay. And everything just feels like it got really heavy this year. Mm. And, you know, I really have been wanting to have you on the podcast for a very long time. Like, yeah, pretty much. We're talk about this. <laughs> I know. Like, since I met you. Yeah. Yeah. And we were going to do it in person because you were going to be here this summer to do our race. And instead we're stuck in our homes, (laughs) zoom calling in our beauty with our beautiful backdrops. But you know what? We're doing the best we can. And if there's any message that you put out in this world, it's one of like pure raw reality. Like you are not fake in any way. You are raw and real with your emotions. And at the end of the day, even with all the passion that you have, what I feel from you is a sense of comfort because I know that you will, you will always speak from the heart and you will always do the thing that feels right to you. And I yes. think there's comfort and security in that. So welcome to the show. Speaking from the heart today. <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about your journey then. Okay. Okay. Have you podcasted uh, before? No, I have not. This is my first. <laughs> oh, good. I'll go really easy on you. I promise. Okay, okay. Um, really no pressure. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be such a great conversation. We have so many things to cover because yeah. you're just, you're such an inspirational woman and people look to you and you have developed a following and um, I think a community of people who really want to hear what you have to say. And so my goal today is to let them hear it. <laughs> okay. 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 And I often feel like it's easiest to kind of ease into things by just like going backwards in time and, you know, starting by ha- helping people understand who you are. And that often starts with your childhood, like where you grew up and how you were raised. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. All right. Um, I'm born and raised from Chicago, South Side child, if most people know about that side. Um, I'm the only child, so I don't have any siblings or anything. Um, I was raised in a two-parent home, so that's a good thing. Um, It's unfortunately kind of a not a common thing in the black community. So having my father even late into my teens, um, that built some type of structure. Um, childhood. Well, let's, um, pa- let's pause for a second because you did post um, on Father's Day, you know, a really sweet tribute to your dad and how he raised you to be a, a, just a good human being, you know? And... Um, 
you talk about how it's unusual in the black community to have a double parent household. Mm-hmm. You grew up on the South side. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, you know, very different realities, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, I didn't spend a lot of time on the South side. It's not like that's where we went for restaurants and, right. you know, activities. Yeah. Yeah. So really different cultures. Like, did you find your childhood to be, comfortable or were you constantly feeling challenged or stressed? Yeah, when I got to second grade, they changed it out where we wind up. I had to go to a public school. I was in my district. Um, And I bring that up because that's another issue with the breakdown with um, my communities that it's, it's a situation where it's purposely they'll have schools in certain zones that they know that certain families or a particular type of race won't be able to get into the school. So they changed the zones. I wound up having to go to public school at third grade. Um, that was a transition. Um, and then my parents put me into a, all, you know, a Catholic school from fourth to eighth grade. So with that, that school was like stable, but at home it wasn't. So even though I had a father in the home, he was more so a codependent. So my mom, um, for as long as I can remember, it went, this is a topic I don't talk about much, but I think I need to. Um, she got off into drugs, which is not an uncommon thing. And it started off, with the cocaine era because I was like early 80s mid 80s um even though I was in private school like I said that was consistent and that was the only stable thing but outside of that at home um when I come from school missing days of school um my mom will have me going to different drug homes so I was exposed to like a double life um and this usually what happened when my father's at work um, and it got more frequent once the crack era came into play. Um, that's like a whole nother beast of its own. And it's something that they can't really control because the other drug you can kind of manage, you can still have a life, but then do that later. But once that, once the crack era like kicked in, then that's when I was exposed to like or street activity. I have been in some weird situations. <laughs> I'll just say that I've been in weird situations. Raids, you know, cops raiding the drug house, um, almost being taken away from my parents, um, my, catching my mom attempting suicide twice. So it's just been a lot of that. So then I have to go back to school. So it's just a lot of children that people don't understand and know is that. You just never know what a child is actually going through at home, and then they got to compartmentalize that, put that to the side, and then be normal. It was, it was a lot back then. It was, it was a lot. And that lifestyle kind of led me down the path of becoming a gang member. So, because I was just exposed to that type of lifestyle. Um, that happened like the year before. I went to high school and I went to all public high schools. So the exposure of that was like a lot. Um, 
yeah, I got into a game. And I was in that for at least like three years from 13 to like almost 17, right before I converted to become a Muslim. So, um, but I lived that rough life um, for a while. And during that time, there was a lot of confliction with my parents and he wanted her to go on rehab. She didn't want to go. It was just like crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was that was crazy. Um, and my outlet was trying to find some sense of friendship, community, something where you just have like this group. And that was like joining a gang in Chicago. That was like common for everybody to do. Like 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 everybody was doing it. Everybody was doing it. So um, not everybody, but. A lot of kids did it. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that 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 was that period. And I almost got arrested and got myself in like a situation where I could have went to juvenile, but I got out of that. But that was like the turning point of, okay, I need to figure out something with myself before I go down this other road. And then that's how I kind of found, I went, came into the religion under the nation of Islam and then moved over to converting to it. But oh. to be honest, that's like what saved me, honestly. For me, that's what saved me. But yeah. Oh my gosh. A lot of um, situations, like a lot. <laughs> um, okay, this is mind-blowing because you're 13 to 16. Well, first of all, you're really young. You're exposed to like the fact that your mom is not the hero that most of us, you know, want to think our parents are. And we know as human beings that none of us really are perfect anyway, right, but right. your mom had had problems. And I know it's hard to talk about those issues. It's It makes you feel like you don't want to expose someone else and it's very personal. Mm -hmm. Um and it didn't make you not go down that path. I mean, you got involved with gangs early. Yeah. 13 years old, that's like seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. Um, did you follow down the path of like doing drugs as well? No, I never did that. I used to sell for a little bit. <laughs> wow. I used to do that for a minute, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so when you got into or into gangs, um, I mean, this is at a time when it's a very formative time of your life. I mean, your body's probably been changing. You've become like a young woman and your peers are people who are the group that is making you feel any kind of comfort and security mm -hmm. is a gang, right? right. So not not necessarily the most positive influence, not saying some of those people might be really great people and maybe got themselves out of the negative activities that were going on. But I mean, it sounds like you were just sort of caught up in it. Yeah, I was. I was. I was. And I remember one time um, I missed, I don't know, like three, four days of school. And my mom used to come up in the beginning when I got to fourth and fifth grade. My mom used to come to the parent-teacher conference. So when she show up, you know, she's in her full coat. She got her Christian Dior bag, like, you know, this whole image. So when it got to the point where um, 
she's keeping me out of school because she's hung out somewhere and we can't get back home. Um, and I would tell my teachers, they wouldn't like believe me. They were like, well, you know, your mom doesn't come off like that. You need to come up with a better excuse on why you didn't show up for school. Yeah, that was, that was, that was crazy. So um, you literally were like almost trying to ask for help and people weren't believing you. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at 16 years old to have the, I don't know, the, the ability to even see that, yeah, I've, if I continue down this road, I'm going to go to juvie and worse. Mm-hmm. Like that's not something that most 16 year olds can even grasp. And, and if they do, they don't often choose the harder road, which is to get out. Exactly. And change your course. I mean, were you afraid to get out? I, I don't know. Cause so, I'm yeah, not. That yeah. was, yeah. Um, getting out is not typically the easiest thing and they make it even more difficult for females. Why is so, that? Um, I don't know if you know, like right now, it's like a rape culture that's going on right now. So it's like, you know, women are getting attacked. Um, like you can't even ignore a man without feeling like he's going to do something. Like you can't reject them. Going back to the past, um, if a girl got into a game, literally, basically you become property of the guys that's in it. I never really accepted that. And for some odd reason, they didn't treat me like that. I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to question it. Um, but normally what females would have to do to get out is she has to sleep with a number of guys to get out. Yeah. Like guys, oh. if they want to get out, they have to get jumped, shot. Like there's something physical has to happen to them. But for the female, it's, it's yeah, it's pretty much rape. Um, but what saved my situation was back then in 90, like 1990, 1991, 92, 93, the Nation of Islam had a strong presence in Chicago on the South Side to the point that they was even able to go into like urban black communities where it was like highly trafficked with criminal activity and they would clean up the cleaner. They were, they had gained that much respect amongst the black community that they come around, you know, everything desists. Um, so the guy I had to talk to, who was like the person that controlled like a certain amount of area. So I was like, different gangs have different zones. Like it's the weirdest thing. Like they actually have territory that, okay, from this block to this many blocks is ours, from that block to that block, Blackstones have their part from that part to that part, you know, the the um the M4s or whatever, they have their part, like everybody had their own particular area. So this particular guy that was in charge of like all the drug deals that went down in this particular district, I'll just say. Um, that's who I sat down with and I told him I was like, I need to get out of this. Um, I joined the nation of Islam. And just off the bat, he was like, you're done, you out. Like, I'm not going to even, <laughs> we're not going to have this back and forth mess with, you know, anything with the Nation of Islam. But that was like the easiest, that was the only way I was able to get out of it. It's because I went to something that was highly respected in the community. Yeah. Respect. That's a big word right now. Um, <laughs> what led you to, to find 
the nation of Islam? What led you to them? Um, growing up, um, I don't know. I've never really had an actual attachment to the church. Um, I did believe in God, but I didn't want to, I don't know. I just never had this attachment to the church. And it was like a lot of questions that wasn't answered. A lot of things didn't make sense. Some stuff sounded hypocritical. It just, for me, it just didn't make sense. Um, and I needed something that gave like foundational structure and at that moment, that's what I needed. Like something that made me feel empowered as a black girl, as a female, somebody to be respected and, you know, your modesty and just all of that. So that's what the Nation of Islam served for me. It was able to guide me to something where I'm more focused, self-aware, and have this sense of empowerment. Yeah. Yeah, they have like wow. a, it was, that was, yeah, up there in Chicago, it's pretty. I don't know how it is now. Well, no, I was there like a couple of years ago, and I went into this <laughs> went into this local gas station, and like all the guys in the gas station was like, "No, no, 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 sister, we open the door for you. We got this for you. You can get in line ahead of us." So I guess that energy is still there, but yeah, <laughs> in Chicago, I do know it's like those type of women. You know, that religion, that practice has a lot of respect there has a lot. Yeah. So you were still in high school when this was going on. Did you finish? Um, I finished later because I wind up having to move. Um, I got kicked out of the public school that I was attending um, at when I was a freshman, only because I missed like a lot of days of school. Not only that, um, I was suspended like three, four times within that year for fights. Um, yeah, like I got in, yeah, it was most of it due to missing school and getting in the fights. So I was, I had a lot of suspensions, a lot of violent activity at the school, um, being a part of violent activity, gang activity. So the school was on the verge of, they was like, we're not going to expel you, but you can't come back the next year. So my father was able to put me in an all girl Catholic school, um, on the Southwest side of Chicago. Um, and then that kind of like put me more back into place. And that's where I was able to get more structure in that school. Um, but during that time, that's when I converted actually, when I became like what they want to call just Orthodox Muslim. Um, and I had a battle with the principal she was like the top nun of the school well no they had like so next to the school you had the nurse you know <laughs> where all the nuns stay i forgot what's the name i forgot the name of that place i forgot the name of that place i forgot wherever they stay they all lived in like this building that was next to the school and me and her got into it she was like you can't be wearing that rag on your head when you come to school you can't be pulling your shirt out your paint you know like your pants or your skirt that skirt needs to be shorter. I don't know what you're doing, but we're not allowing that at this. It was like this whole thing. So um, I wound up signing up. I wound up making, while I was in the nation at the all-girl high school, I remember thinking, I'm like, we don't have like a black history class. We have world, have world history, civics, government history, 
everything else. And I'm just like, we don't have a black history cast and the school was predominantly black girls. I just found that strange. So the one of my teachers told me that, oh, if you wanna get this class in our school, like an official class, you gotta get all 201 students to sign a petition. I got my way. <laughs> All the girls signed it <laughs> and we was able to find it, was able to find a teacher to teach the black history class. And that's when I met this young lady. I remember vividly, she sat in, sat in front of me and she was like, you know, I have a brother, I have a boyfriend who has a brother that's Muslim. And he believes that all nationalities, white, Asian, whatever, can become Muslim. I was like, give me his number because no, it's black power. I'm not trying to hear that. I need his number. <laughs> so um after a lot of back and forth she finally gets me his number i talked to him over the phone for like a week or two and perfect it was like he was a stranger i don't i would never advise anybody ever to do this because that was like looking back hindsight that was like dangerous um <laughs> um i met up with him and he came up to my school actually and then after school we went back to we went to like a coffee shop that was near his home and he brought his fiance and he was like are you ready to take on the faith and that's when i converted it come becoming muslim is only like literally like a statement it's just affirming your belief in one god and you know believing that the prophet's the last prophet that's that's just that's all you need to have you don't there's nothing else you got to do to become muslim it's just reaffirming um the oneness in god and like after that it was um I became more diligent on, okay, I'm have to, I want to wear my scarf. I want to cover my hair. I want to be more modest. I ordered uniform slacks instead of the skirts. And it was like this constant rift between me, the vice principal, she was black, and then the head principal, Mariam. I remember her name, Sister Mariam. <laughs> yeah, she made my life a little bit hell. Um, <laughs> um, she called my father up to the school and was just like, you know, We've talked to your daughter about the inappropriate attire. She's looking raggedy at the school. She can't wear this. She can't be wearing the rag on her hair. Like, so during that time, like the popularity of the trend and the openness of acceptance of Muslim women and modesty. And, you know, you have Halima, supermodel. Like it wasn't any of that back then. Like you couldn't get hired with your hijab on back then. Um, you will get stalked and harassed based on that judge. It was it was a lot. So I had to leave that school. And then that's when I finished out my high school, a public school. But yeah, that's kind of like the the most condensed story. <laughs> well, there's so much, there's so many layers here too. I mean, you said your dad got called into the school. Did he defend you and your decisions? He did, but his resolution was for me to just comply and I don't want to do that like I'm, I'm just like I'm not going to do that like I have a right I know my rights and to say that I can't do something like how am I how am I hindrance or bothersome to anybody in the school like I'm like nuns wear hats I'm like I don't get it like she wears it but I can't wear it so it's just I was very determined back then. So if I didn't get my way, then I would find a way. And if it meant like leaving the school, then that's what I would do. Um, it's really, it, it's very interesting to me too, because at that age, most girls do not want to be modest. 
they want to show it off, you know? Yeah, I have my moments. And, I did have my moments. <laughs> yes, I but, did. <laughs> I mean, you were fighting for the right to, you know, represent the religion that you believed in, and that required modesty. And I think, you know, it's interesting, too. Like, you've always been, I don't know, an activist of sorts. I mean, here you are starting a Black history class in high school. Like, yeah. You've always had a strong, firm belief in what's right. It's like I said at the beginning. And what's really cool is at that age, especially if your parent says like, you know, you should just kind of do what they say. Like most kids Mm -hmm. are going to go, okay, I'll just give in or they're not going to try that hard. But you stuck your ground. Yeah. 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 And you still do. (laughs) You know, the other thing that's interesting in the story is that you used to have a lot of aggression. I mean, you were, you said violent acts, you were in trouble for fighting all the time. Like uh, sometimes I feel an aggress- uh, aggressive undertone a little bit to some of your words, but it's not aggression in the violent, like I'm going to fight someone sense. It's more, it's more about, um, just trying to get your point made about injustice, you know, and sometimes you need to be loud to do that. So like looking back, do you regret some of the behaviors that you had or do you feel like they actually as screwed up as some of them were helped shape who you are today? Who I am today. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, it's so crazy. So here you come out of high school then, right? Mm-hmm. Um, out of and and you have a faith that you firmly believe in, and it sounds like you you really like just sort of started in it, and then you got more active, not the other way around, right. where you really researched and did all the work, and then you were like, okay, let's do this. You were like, I'm doing it, and then you dug in, right? Yeah. And so you feel like <laughs> Google information and research. Yeah. So yeah, it was kind of just. If the vibe feels right, that's what I did. And then the research came afterwards. Well, and how, so what did your path look like after that time in life? Because a big part of your story has to do with who you are today as an athlete. And there was a part of your journey where your own health really took a back seat. So I kind of want to understand like how you got to a point of, you know, not, We talked about respect, and I'm not going to say you didn't respect yourself, but you know, like you, maybe you didn't give yourself everything you needed, the self love that you needed to be healthy. Yes. Yep. Um. When I turned, it had to been I was about 17. My mom wasn't staying on top of the rent, so that led to an eviction. And once that led to an eviction, she didn't have a solution of where we're going to go thereafter. Because at that point, my father was done with the situation, like he pretty much tolerated for like 16 years. So (laughs) in that moment, he checked out mentally and physically and moved, married somebody else, moved to Indiana. That was it. So I was stuck with my mom. Um, And once we got evicted, she didn't have a solution of where we're going to go. So I wound up having to stay with my grandmother. And um, I stayed with my grandmother for a while until I got married. 
and then that's when I moved to Michigan and all of that. But yeah, that was another weird period when I had to stay with my grandmother for those from mm, yeah about about a good year. I stayed with her until I turned like eighteen. Yeah, and I got married at eighteen. Okay, so what's up with that? You still um, married? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on paper, I'll just say that. Um, yeah, that's a whole nother beast of a topic. But yeah, I got married at 18. Um, and had my first child the next year. Looking back, I should have waited. Kind of did my own thing, but I didn't. Um, and just over the course of years, it's like small things that you don't pay attention to. So um, for one, when you get married that young, um, first, you don't really know yourself that well. Um, you don't really know what you like, what you don't really like. You think you know, but you don't know. Um, those epiphanies come as you get older and you're already in the situation. Um, but over the course of years, I wound up having three children and I got complacent. I was a stay at home mom. Um, and just, this is not like a, this is not a religious thing. This is more of a cultural peer pressure type of ideology where, you know, the woman stays home, she takes care of the kids, um, you're covered up. A lot of women was wearing the face veil, like it was a lot of, um, what's the word? Submissiveness, in a sense. You just give up yourself, I'll just say that. Where now you're just wife and mom. And over the course of the years, the weight gain came due to, when I look back, it, it had a lot to do with my self-esteem. So you get complacent because the type of clothing that we used to wear covers a lot, it hides a lot. And you just, and the culture of it, nobody thinks about workout, nobody, nothing. Everything is either at home, or you go to somebody else's house, you sit, eat, sit, eat, talk, be with friends. It was, it was just that. That's like the daily thing. And when I got, we moved to Baltimore, I remember it was a day I was, I don't know what happened. It's like the kids at that time, they were running in and out the house. Normally, you know, that's no big deal. They going outside, they come in and come out. But one particular day I felt extremely like agitated. And I was like, sit down and you all don't listen to me. And it felt like in that moment, I was about to have like this nervous breakdown. It was the weirdest. It's a feeling of like you're mentally losing it. And I was like, what was that? Like I had to calm myself down. I was sobbing and I became numb. It was like strange. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, why did I just lose it right there and go crazy on the kids with screaming at them and stuff like that or feeling whatever. And I was like, okay, I'm having <laughs> it's like some issues with myself. I didn't understand what that was, but I wasn't going to find out about it. But I was able to get myself out of that. But I just remember that feeling like I'm about to lose my mind. So I kind of get people that 
when they actually have a nervous breakdown, I know the feeling that goes into that and how it's almost uncontrollable. And at that point, I, I was at my top weight, 250 pounds on a 5'2 frame. And I was like, I'm going to have to do something because I'm not liking myself. I'm not liking where I'm at in life. I got to do something. So in the midst of trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my weight loss, back then all we had was <laughs> Billy Blanks was like super popular. <laughs> it was this other one called Firm. They was the company where they did the stair step. So I was between working out with Billy Blanks and doing them. And then I wrote, that's when I rolled myself into school. I was like, you know what? I'm going to college. I need to do something mentally to improve myself. And in 2005, I started with the weight loss journey and I put enrolled myself into college. Yeah. I just, that's something else. I just transitioned in doing. I was like, I'm going to school. Um, because I felt like I needed some type of something that was structural for my mind. I needed to be stimulated mentally. And that was a source of, that was another source of empowerment. Get myself in school and going to college and striving to get my bachelor's, which I did, thankfully. <laughs> but yeah, those were the small steps. Um, I lost about 40 pounds. I got down to like one. 200 to 190, like right before we left Baltimore and moved to North Carolina. And once I moved to North Carolina, I got complacent again, like putting myself last and putting everybody first. Like it was a lot of put myself last or I don't think of myself at all. Um, and that's, I, that's an issue that a lot, a lot of women deal with. But yeah, that's kind of the root of where it started. Um, I got complacent for a while from like 2008 until was it 2000? It was like 2010, and it was a old friend of mine. She wanted to do this weight loss challenge, and it was like a 90 day weight loss challenge. Whoever loses the most weight in three months, you get this money prize. So I entered that, and that kind of led me to okay. I got some structure again. Let me try to get this weight off. Because it was a lot carrying that around. Um, and it messed with my self-esteem a lot. Um, but that still didn't have a fulfillment. Um, I was yo-yo dieting with that. And then my birthday, um, December 12, 2011, I remember it vividly. I told myself, that's it. I'm getting me a nutritionist. And I need to get all of this weight off. Like I made a goal where, okay, because at that time I think it was like 236. So I was up and down. And I was like, by the end of 2012 or 2013, I want to be 135. Whatever that looks like, that's the number I'm getting to. And thankfully I had a, a friend of mine, she was Muslim and she just got her degree as a nutritionist. So me and her worked together like for the first six months of 2012 with checking in with her, coming to her house, getting weigh-ins, logging all my food, working out. And just ever since then, it's just, that's been the addiction. I'm just, just that. Pretty much from 2012 up to now. Like that was like structure I can't let go of. <laughs> oh. Now, 
again, so many layers here. Like a lot. The first thing is you realize like you weren't happy and you remember that day, that epiphany day when your kids are running around and you're losing your mind, like mm-hmm. literally losing your mind. Yeah. And those are powerful moments. Like a lot of people say like, you got to hit your rock bottom before you really are going to make change or whatever. Maybe that was, maybe that was yours. It was like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? But the other layer there is that until you have some kind of positive mental um, foundation or the tools, the emotional and mental tools to get yourself there physically, it's really hard to do that. And you had the foresight to say like, I need something, I need to grow mentally as well. Maybe shrink physically and grow mentally. (laughs) Um, And so I give you like just huge props on deciding like your step there was to go back to school. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. What did you end up studying? Um, I got my bachelor's in psychology. Yeah. Aha. Now you're your own therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love this. So um, what's also interesting is that your weight loss journey, your fitness journey was precipitated by like kind of a weight loss goal. And Mm -hmm. so fitness and nutrition went hand in hand for you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So more important so because... One of my friends, she had a, because she was a respiratory therapist. And at that time, she bought like a high blood pressure machine. I think she bought it or was able to get it from her job. I'm not sure. And I remember over the summer of 2011, um, everybody that was over her house took their blood pressure. And mine's paying back pre-hypertensive. I was like, no. I was like, no wonder I was getting tingling. Like I used to get like... um, numbness in the left hand or tingling sensation and i'm like i don't want my death to be something that i could have controlled or stopped i was like i'm not gonna die by my own hands so that was like the last year i was like that's not gonna happen not on my watch i can't die by my own hands so from that point forward i've always made gradually i made that effort where you have to put yourself first. You have to take care of yourself. This is what you have to do. Um, like if I die from something else, okay. But I was like, I'm not going to be the one. I'm not going to hand myself that death sentence to just not care about myself physically, health-wise or anything, knowing what I know that I can, it can go down that road of a heart attack and stroke. I, I don't want that. So that was like, yeah, a light up moment for me too. You know? Absolutely. So, so with, you know, with adding the fitness into your routine, how did that help, you know, help all the different aspects come together? Like, how did it help you remain on a positive nutrition track? And how did it help keep your mind clear and positive? Because you've said this, you know, in, in different uh, posts and things that you've put out into the world that, you know, you like all of us struggle sometimes with keeping the getting rid of the negative thoughts that try to make their way into our minds. So was fitness a part of, I don't know, maybe one of the tools in your tool shed now? Yes. Yeah. I use that as an outlet. Um, that's my, if you want to say that's partial my therapy, that's my outlet. 
So any stress, anger, I use, I go towards that. That's what's helped me. Yeah. Well, on the images that I see of you in the weight room, I think, <laughs> I think of words like power and strength and beauty, you know, and all of those things like just come together when I see you in there, like lifting weights and letting your, your power shine through. I don't know. Is that your first entree into fitness? Was it through weightlifting or did, no, did you just running? Oh, cool. Yeah, Running was, I was introduced. I got into that. Um, and in my first 5k, which was the color me run, <laughs> Um, the, like, was that in August? No, that was September of 2012. Yeah. I did my first 5k. That was fun. And then I did, I signed up just out of the blue in November to do an 8k turkey trot run. One of the coldest races. Don't know why I get that, but that doing that race, um, is what sparked the interest of, I like running. And um, when 2013 came, another a friend of mine, she called me out on it in a Facebook group and was like, I want you to do your first half. I want us to do our first half marathon in April. I'm like, I'm not trying to do 13.1 miles. Girl, you crazy. <laughs> I was like, I'm not training for something like that. No, it's cold. Um, that's only giving us like three months to train. But once we trained for that over the entire winter months, um, we did our race at the Flying Pirate out there in the Outer Banks. We did that race. And like two months later, because I said to myself after that race, I'm never running that race again. People are crazy. I would never run another half again. Done. Fuck it. This is over. But like two months later, I had another bug. That's when I wound up doing the Richmond half. And it just went on from there. And it's Running still going. <laughs> it's still yeah. going. You became a triathlete last year, right? Uh, that was, uh, was that last year? Oh, time is moving. No, Maybe two years. Yeah. Yeah. October, 2018. So incredible. Um, okay. So my gosh, I just I was thinking about this idea of, you know, discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. Like what's going on in the world right now is creating a lot of discomfort for people. Well, we as athletes, we're used to that feeling. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's not a great feeling, but we've learned that discomfort, as long as you figure out what the cause is, it doesn't stay forever, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I just find these parallels really interesting as, um, as a woman who has found athletics for you a little bit later in life. It wasn't like mm -hmm. you were running track in high school. You know, and even um, as we think about like the modesty requirements of being a Muslim here, you live in North Carolina, it gets kind of hot and kind of humid. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you have to find clothing that's going to work for you. That's not traditional for other runners right. who are out there running in a sports bra and right. a little pair of shorts. Right. And so I think that might be part of your um, journey to finding skirt sports, which allowed us to connect and meet, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 So we make products then that work, not all of them, but some of them work for allowing you to have more coverage, right? Yes. 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 That you all have a lot <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting too, like even if you talk about the hijab, which, mm -hmm. how do you pronounce, do you say hijab? 
Um, it's Gaza or just hijab. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to get it right. So <laughs> like that's limiting too, because not a lot of athletic companies make those. And I remember Nike a couple of years ago, decided to make a big statement and come out and make that mm-hmm. to help other women in other cultures find the same joy of movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're spo- or you work with a couple of different uh, sportswear companies, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joggling sportswear. Um, it's a London sister. She lives, yeah, she lives in the UK. She created, she mimicked the concept from Nike, but the fabric that she uses is actually more dry wick and it's more breathable. Yeah. Yeah. The Nike jab, I can't run in it. I'll just say that. I can go to the gym. I can't run in that. Like it like contains and holds the heat in your under your scarf. It's the strangest thing. Um, so I wear her brand of headscarf of course you all start to the bomb um and i think that's it well we'll, so. we'll put a link in there too for anybody who is looking for other resources and i'll make sure i get a list from you so that you can help people who want to have you know more coverage and modesty when they're out there yeah. awesome okay so You know, I've been thinking a lot, like I want to twist the conversation now and turn to sort of like current events because I think we, you know, have a really good sense of who you are and how you got where you are today and how these emotions are so strong in you. But you also have a voice that I think can help other people understand Mm -hmm. and help other people in their attempts to make change. Um, and one of the things that you and I talked about prior to this conversation is that you were having a meeting with some friends recently. I think you had it last mm-hmm. week, maybe. It was and, Okay, great. And you guys, you were meeting to talk about what are the things that we want to see changed. And I said, well, will you pose to the group, like, what can businesses do to change? Because that's really relevant to me. Right. Um, So I guess maybe that might be a good place to start is maybe you can talk about the meeting you had with friends and what topics came up and, you know, if any trends came out of it where you guys sort of landed on like, boom, this can be a catalyst for other people. Um, where we covered, well, both of them wanted to do a check-in just to see how I was doing. Um, so we talked about that. Um, we talked about a lot of disparities as far as like in the medical system. We also talked about the disparities of just the whole police brutality and just what's going on with that. And when I did bring up about like for the branding, so for example, like the incident with CrossFit, a couple other companies like having their moments that like failed in the, in the, in the heat of things. Um, I think going forward, what companies should do, um, I think making, because a lot of people are just visual. So I'm thinking that making, having, making sure the models, there's different size models. They're a variety of women from all walks of life, um, where everybody feels included. Um, all body shapes, all body types, because that seems to be like the thing, this whole body positivity movement. 
um, company trying to accommodate everybody. And it, the feeling needs to come off like complete inclusion versus, um, I don't know, like a certain group is just being focused on, but not the other, but then you still feel like you're part of. Yeah, it needs to just be more branded in a way where when somebody comes to your website, no matter who they are, and whatever faith or ethnic background they come from, they can feel like they are part of that and that company will support them or they can provide some type of service for them. Yeah. Well, it, 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 this is like, this is one layer, right? Like what can right. businesses do visually on the outside? Right. And, and a lot of companies will, will try, you know, yeah. they do try, but then are they really backing it up? That's the question. Right. And you know what, all of this, everything that's going on with this terrible racial injustice, like just really being brought to the surface in our country right now mm-hmm. is I feel like there's a lot of conversation that people are having with themselves mm-hmm. about whether or not they are walking the the right line. You know, yeah. it's like I, I saw a post that um, a friend put who lived in Phoenix and he has an eight-year-old daughter like mine and he they went and they did the protests and he was like, I just want her to see that we were on the right side of history here. Mm -hmm. We're supporting and we're doing this right. But, you know, that's one small thing you can do is get out there and actually walk with people. But what can, what can we all be doing to make sure that we are on the right side of history here? Um, in the work space or in corporate America, it needs to be an allowance where, those voices that are deemed minority, whether it's black women, black men, Latino, it doesn't matter. Not just outwardly trying to look like something, the company and its vision and its mission statement and who they are as a core company need to have full on exclusion and not, because diversity, that word is, uh, that just means, okay, you diverse, which just shows, again, this, this surface thing, okay, well, we hire two black people. You know, we got, we got the numbers. <laughs> but then their voice is still not a part of the collective in that company or supporting in the vision of what that company has. I think it has to be an internal thing, um, like Starbucks. I'll use them as an example. So they put out a tweet, like, Right after George Floyd, the situation with that, like a week later, they put this tweet out, or they support. So, with like, it's like this trend. So, okay, if Black Lives Matter is the trend, then companies automatically feel like they got to jump on that trend, support that. They made a tweet about that, but then email the employees, oh, we can't wear anything that's Black Lives Matter material, memorabilia. But coworkers was like, well, you let us wear LGBTQ stuff but we had that and it got out like within less than 24 hours and then they had to backtrack back and be like, you know, we apologize, we didn't make that issue on top. And it's like, they'll do the surface thing to keep the consumer, but it's not an actual internal change. Like it needs to be from the inside out. 
kind of just the same with like with the criminal justice system. You can't just do the surface thing where, oh, we need to, um, like a lot of people are against the defunding police. I get the defunding police part um, because it's just too much chaos within that system that again needs to be internalized and not seen as, oh, it's just a few of them. No, this is a like a United States issue. <laughs> um, every day, it's something that I'm finding out. But um, it has to happen in the, with in-house, Congress, Senate floor, um, new laws, new bills being passed. Companies paying more attention to who they're hiring. Do people need a psychological test? Like what needs to be done to internally change this and also give those who they believe or see to be minorities to have a voice within that company. Yeah, but it's a lot of surface coding and we're not really getting to the heart of the issue. Well, I think it's it's hard to get to the heart of the issue sometimes, especially for companies who are trying to not offend anybody. And that's a really, I get it because, you know, with skirt sports, I spent 15 years trying to working hard to build a customer base. Right. 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 And so we try to keep things like politics and religion out of our messaging. Right. Mm -hmm. And we just try to be a brand that celebrates women. Mm -hmm. But when this happened, um, I, a lot of people may say like when, when George Floyd was killed, it almost seemed political. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is in a way because we got to figure out who we need to have in office to be able to be a country that supports everybody in it. But, um, but I didn't, I look at it a little bit politically, but I also look at it just from a human issue that tears me up inside. Like there's so much sadness and anger and exhaustion right now. And I just decided that even though Skirt Sports is winding down as a company, like Mm -hmm. we could just be putting out messaging that has to do with buy our final products because that's really what we need to do. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do it. And our company and the people who are still working there couldn't do it either. We were like, okay, we need to pause. Yeah, we're sending emails out. We want people to buy our products, but we we have a platform. Right. And we need to use that platform to help do whatever we can right now. So mm-hmm. what we've been doing just in the current moment is featuring the black women in our community. And you know that you're one of our features and you will be again. But um, what's interesting to me too is as I've watched things unfold, I've, I've really tried to listen to my own heart, but I've also watched what other people are doing and saying, and there was this whole sort of discussion about, yeah, but all lives matter. And what about brown lives matter? And these lives matter. And somebody made a really good point. And it was on a post that I shared of yours mm-hmm. where we, I just shared a statement you made, which was black women matter. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody immediately got on and posted an actual badge that said, police lives matter. (laughs) And it incited the community that was following. People were pissed. There were people supporting her, but people were also pissed. And it's not because there aren't good people in the police force. There are good people, but it's because this message had nothing to do with that. 
Right. It doesn't mean because you support one group that you can't you support less than. Right. It doesn't take away from anybody else. It doesn't Correct. take away from anybody else. Right. Yeah. And what somebody wrote on the post was, well, when it's my birthday, people don't go, hey, yeah, happy birthday. But, you know, it's her birthday, too. So happy birthday to this person, too. Right, like, right, right, that's right. not what this is about. And so what's really interesting right now and why I feel like this is so different than other times in history when there's been injustice and it's been a temporary kind of outroar. I'm really hopeful that this won't be temporary, um, that real change can be made. But it feels different too because there's been a clear move to define Black Lives Matter, like Black Mm -hmm. Lives as part, as the this is the conversation right now, right? right? So why is that like super important? And why do you think that might be one of the reasons that this, that, that this could be a catalyst for real change? Um, it's just for a very long time. Um, Again, it's like the sugar coat. So for a very long time, you know, there's been other people that have, other Black people that have died at the hands of police officers, Sandra Blanche, Mayor Rice, Eric Garner. We could just go on. And we kind of do this thing where, I don't know, it constantly gets just, we see it, we get upset, we move on. And it's never anything that, and because we've gotten used to that cycle of we get mad, we protest, move on. Everybody gets complacent with that and no real, nothing really gets changed. We don't speak up enough for ourselves, for our rights, and those that support us don't really speak up for us either. So it's kind of just been this gloss over. Um, but once the situation went down with Ahmaud Arbery, that kind of triggered a lot of people because he got murdered in February. Nobody even knew about that. Like, what in the world? They kept that secret. But then when the footage came out, we find out about it late April, um, going into May. And that just resurfaced what we, we kind of know was in this country, but nobody really wanted to like deal with it. And now it's an issue, well, a global issue where we have to deal with this because it won't stop. Like nobody's actually, there is no reforming going on. There wasn't any bills passed, laws passed, like nothing was going on to actually make a change for all the previous people that have died unjustly. And I don't know, it's just at this point, it's like enough is enough. I think we just reached our peak where we can't accept this type of behavior anymore. And everybody, it's a collective of everyone that has to have a voice. And I always, I put on my post a couple of times that this is not something, in this instance, this is not something Black people can fight for by themselves. We need that alliance to get there. People like, we have to have that. It's, it's no different than the abolitionist movement. Um, when Harriet Tubman, most of the people that helped her with the Underground Railroad were her white allies. And it's like, 
that's what we need right now in order to make it like, okay, we have to change this. Um, but it's a fight that we've always tried to tackle on our own. And it's just, it's, 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 it's just not working. <laughs> so but at this point, it's becoming to be understood that this systematic issue is in every fiber of our lives. Like it's everywhere. It's work, home, court, school, medical, it's everywhere and it needs to be addressed. Yeah. So what can I do? Like, tell me, you know, if you're saying I'm a white woman <laughs> and I grew up in a privileged neighborhood and with a family, you know, f- family that stayed together and functional and all the stuff. Right. And I went to college and I started a business. Um, what can I do? Like if you were just to sit there and say, here are the questions to ask yourself mm-hmm. so that you can help and do the right thing. What questions do I ask myself? What do I do here? Um, the support has to be more in a, it's not really questions. It's just, it's more of a, just an action thing. So even in small situations, um, if you're around someone that says something inappropriate, you be the one to correct them. Um, right now, a lot of people are donating to different foundations and companies to support the efforts of those that are being in jail for no reason. They can't meet bail. You got that. You have the issues with funding with school and just a lot of the things that like Black Lives Matter and Color of Change. All those organizations is helping to support to build a strength in a community where we are set and we are safe. Um, it's just actively getting out there. Anytime you see something, say it. Um, the support usually is just when you see the wrong, you just tackle it yourself. Like you just deal with it head on. That's like more of a personal thing. Company wise, you already all do, you already do things inclusion. So that's like, you have that down. You do have down the inclusion. So it's not much you have to really change with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But everything else, like when it comes to your personal self, it's just action. What can I actually physically do to partake in situations? For example, uh, one of the skirt sports, she's a teacher. Um, in that platform, that's where she can speak up against or if it's a child that she sees that's being left behind or she sees some sort of discrimination what can she do to step in to correct that versus the parent trying to say something or do something it's those and it seems like minute it doesn't seem like it's doing anything but those small changes make a difference in creating laws making people more aware because a lot of times it's so vague and just kind of just there. Nobody really critically thinks about the disparity that's going on within the black community. Yeah, like from high school testing, like high schools probably test students knowing that they're gonna fail and that's the setup so they won't pass, you know, where they won't get funding for the school. Like it's the cycle of 
keeping us held back and it's like a systematic thing but those that work in those areas they have to like be the ones that stand up and be like we can't do this i can't support this yeah yeah it's just whenever people speak up and do anything just <laughs> you just have to do it yeah um, it's about having inner strength. Get with that. Huh? It's about having inner strength and yeah. being able and strong enough to stand up when you see it happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's new territory. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you, you know, one of the things you said was the small changes make a difference. And yeah. we forget that too, because we all want this like sweeping emotional, psychological, physical change in our country. We want it to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it does take time, but man, we're in a wake up moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's upon us. And I think about this too. I'm a mom of an eight year old girl. You've got three kids that are a little older than eight now, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, think about how you put yourself out there in the world and how you want them to see you because you're their role model. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important thing for us to remember when we're not being an advocate that we need to be. Yeah. So are your children like, um, are you, are you really closely connected with them at this point in your life? I am. Yeah. So you know, they're part of your, (laughs) they're your students. Yes, they are. (laughs) They're good at it. They're good at it. (laughs) Um, wow. Well, what a, you know, we are, we've actually, I think we're kind of winding down our time here, but I've just, I'd love to just sit here and talk to you, have you on more frequently even, because I think some of the things that you put out there are, are just so precious and raw. I mean, you, you often speak a lot to young girls and young women. And that resonates with me because my work in this world has to do with the feminine, you know, Mm -hmm. the women out there and making sure that another word we hit on that they feel empowered. Right. Because when you feel empowered and you have that self-respect, you can make huge change in the world. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, um, is there anything else you want to hit on before we wind it down? Um, um, just waiting for the gym to open back up so I can get back to training. <laughs> I thought you got, I thought you snuck in one day. Still be to do my first powerlifting meet. So I'm just, <sighs> yeah, I'm still trying to, that's like the next big goal. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, I love it. Well, I'll make sure that everybody follows you. Why don't you go ahead and share your, uh, your social media handles? Um, I'm mostly on Instagram and you can follow me at concrete underscore roles, R-O-S-E underscore lifts, L-I-F-T-S. Um, yeah. Um, what does that stand for? Concrete rolls left. Oh, I just changed it. I, well, concrete rolls, that is pretty much signifies um, rebirthing myself and coming out of something that was a mess to something that was great. So that's what that signifies. I and came it from takes a lot of chaos 
and to get me to this point. <laughs> you really did. It takes a lot for a rose to grow in a concrete jungle, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. Well, then let's wrap it up here with the final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Yes. And that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one final nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would yours be? Um, no matter what, always put yourself first. You can't fill someone else's cup if you don't fill yours. Um, stay true to yourself and just always stay always put yourself first, always put yourself first. Um, that's the most important thing. And I especially say that to young girls, women, older adult women, just that's an absolute must. Like you have to. Yeah. Well, you have learned that and you've come out the other side. I'm so happy to have this incredible conversation <laughs> yeah. and uh, we'll have to keep it up. And when we can finally travel and fly again, we're going to, we're going to see each other in person one of these yes. days. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And thanks for having me. Like, it's cool. <laughs> All right. I'm back. I cannot wait to hear your takeaways from this conversation. Um, every conversation I have, I learn a lot. Um, I try to I try to be open and honest and vulnerable myself because if I don't know something, it doesn't help for me to hide the fact that I don't know. So I asked Darietta today, what are some of the things that I can do? And um, maybe you were thinking the same thing. And one of the messages that came across loud and clear was make the small changes. They are just as important. In fact, more important because big change doesn't happen unless you make the small changes every single day. And I love the fact that she ended the episode with this perfect little nugget, no matter what, always put yourself first. So what often happens is that afterwards you forget to say a few things. And especially when it's your very first ever podcast, we're going to give her huge kudos for uh, being so wonderful today. Um, she forgot to mention some things that are important. And I want to make sure that you hear them. So one of the first things is that she is a boundary pusher. Darietta is trying to do things that are different and that can help change the world. She is essentially an older, in kind of in quotes, older-ish athlete who's trying to defy what appears to be impossible. And her goal right now, as she mentioned, and we did not, you know, really dwell on or dive into is to officially become a power lifter and compete at her first meet, which would be monumental because she would in essence be the first black Muslim woman to compete at a power lifting meet. How cool is that? We got to support her in this quest. <laughs> Get over to her Instagram, show her some love and ask how you can support her. You know, because as with all things, she's trying to push the envelope and do what others fear to do. And by doing that, she inspires people and she visually shows people that these things are possible. 
She also wants to give a special shout out to the sisters of powerlifting for welcoming her into their tribe. And I'm going to quote her right now. Being a part of such a great group of black, strong women that are very supportive and encouraging leaves me awe-inspired. She also wants to give a shout out to Leah Wear Action. So this is a clothing company. It's run by a successful Muslim woman that makes custom swimsuits for the Muslim women and anyone who wants to dress modestly at the pool or beach. And she also makes custom sport hijabs, which were the first athletic hijabs uh, Darietta wore during several half marathons and her first full marathon. And that is a really important apparel piece. So there will be links to these companies um, in the show notes. I want to make sure that you learn more about them because these are all brands and individuals with a mission to help inspire and uplift other people. All right, everybody. That's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.